Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And I'm excited for this episode. This is going to be a cool uh, one. This is good. We've got Jim Miro, Corvette and Ride Handling Engineer, um, uh, coming on the podcast. So We're gonna... he is the guy that engineers all of like the suspension, handling, ride characteristics right. when they of go, Corvettes. When they go out to test a car at a track, he's driving it. Oh, he's the driver he's as also well. Great. He says he estimates that he has done more than 15,000 laps on tracks <laughs> all over the world. And wow. I uh, and I had something in the show notes about the Nürburgring, and he's like, yeah, I've driven that like 40 times. When, I mean, it's just, wow. or whatever. I don't remember the exact number, but it was, it was absurd. So, I mean, he's been in charge of the way a Corvette feels when you drive it yeah. for a very long time. So I'm not sure how long I'm, we're going to yeah, get into. I'll, I'll, we'll have to ask him how many different generations. And I'm also really excited to, and this is, this is funny. One of our, one of our listeners was like, Hey, make sure you ask him about like, what can us losers do to make our <laughs> regular cars? He didn't say losers, but I'm a loser. Yeah, no, that makes what sense. What can we do to make our cars handle the, better? The layman, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the layman, the plebeians, the, uh, you know, just just the regular dudes that can't afford a ZL1. <laughs> I, yeah, no, that will be interesting. You're right. Yeah, he's so the guy to ask. He's the guy to ask. So we're going to ask him that as well. So um, I also want to give you a rally update. Okay. Okay, so we've had a ton of people. It's way really more people. Cool. Yeah, so we're talking about the Overcrest Rally that we are hosting and putting on in October. October 5th. And it's been so cool watching the submissions just roll Because I, I had it as one of the questions is, why do you want to come on this rally? And yeah. reading through all those is really great. And seeing all the pictures people upload, that's really great. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to give out um, some sort of award for best submission. Okay. Or just the best story of why you want to come. People are going to be upset now because everyone who's already submitted are going to be like, oh, I want to redo it to have a better. Most people have a pretty good, pretty good thing do. on there. Other than me <laughs> when I submitted oh, mine. Oh, yeah. All of my test ones, too, trying to troubleshoot the it form. It was just, it's my rally. Which, I can go if I want to. <laughs> you, there was also an expletive in there, too, if I recall correctly. <laughs> prob there probably was. I will was. tell everyone right now that you are not allowed to submit the form more than once, so you can't redo your you submission. Can't, you, you can't redo your submission. <laughs> But we've got a ton of people from all over the country, and I'm really, really, really excited we'll have to see and humbled who the by it. So now I'm like, I have to. Too. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, maybe we can give a couple awards out for that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, so we're looking forward to you and I. I have the route planned. Yeah, it's it looks ready. Awesome. Um, the only thing we have to do is I have um, the route plan, and then I'm going to have gravel shortcuts. So you're gonna be able to. Here's the regular route, and if you want, in red is going to be a gravel shortcut. If you want to go, you know. You know, that's kind of cool. Go bandit and go. You yeah, because in the, the description you say, and if you're daring, there's there's going to be some gravel. Roads right. Too. So we're going to have some gravel shortcuts in the route made for people that, you know, want to do it. Yeah. So. I, I love it. That anyway, sounds awesome. So I saw an older D1 Audi S8 the other day. Now, that's sure. the, that's, that's like the Ronin. First, yeah, the movie Ronin. Okay. Right. Exactly. So, so if anybody doesn't know what this is, the D1, it's like late. It's 1990, mid 90s to early 2000s, very early 2000s. S8. Yep. Um, and then they had the D2, D3 onwards sure, yeah. or whatever. Um, and I was going to ask you, do you think that car is cool? An S8. <sighs> yeah. Why? That is an old person car if there ever was one. Because the movie, maybe. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, I well, like there it. is a pop culture reference that can help exactly. that car yeah, it has boost it up a little bit. Without a the movie. Rarity and something else with our Venn diagram of coolness. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some aluminum body panels on some of those and the, and the better engine and more power and. 
but it's the movie yeah. this is the only reason it's I, cool I for do you. have to say i love you guys the listeners since we released our episode on basically defining cool and trying to categorize <laughs> it we've had so much feedback both positive and negative yeah, yeah both to me personally with my cars and my choices as well as just on a whole it's been awesome so i would also like to say that um my c43 80 percent to 20 percent on whether it's cool or not sure which that just goes to show it is totally overwhelmingly cool is no, what you're about to say, say i was gonna say subjective in the eye of the beholder it is it is absolutely for sure it the is subjective. people that uh, those 20 percent though all made sure to comment like <laughs> send you a message me, message me and be like jake you're right don't i'm, on, Chris. I'm on your side <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well little do they know i can click on the thing and see who voted what oh so, sure okay so, well oops. so there is no They've hiding anyway <laughs> um anyway so i saw this essay and i was trying to think of um why those cars are cool and back in the day when you had uh, like the early 90s, um, when you had could get like an S4 or an S6, right. you know, a Vach or whatever. And they had the 20 valve engines in them. Yeah, the and they URS4, were, URS6, starting in 93, I right. want to say. Very cool cars. Yes. You know, bulletproof engine, well made, well known to be able to make tons of power, blah, blah, blah. Right. But back then, the only guys that bought those cars were car guys. Yeah. Nobody was buying those and then driving around showing off that badge because they were so... They were so was, new. Well, it was um, also, I would say, a special breed of a car guy. Because you're not just a car guy and you go out and buy a Mustang or a Corvette where right. everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's a cool car. These were pretty rare. It's a little more discerning. Exactly. It's very subdued. This is like the humble car guy. But over time, the S-Badge be S -badge became more popular. And it started to become more recognized. And you True. had the S8 and the S4 and the S6. RS6. <laughs> and that's when the marketing teams yeah, took a hold right. of it. <laughs> it's all of a sudden, non-car guys mm -hmm. went, oh, I can actually be seen as a car guy, but I'm not actually one. So then they started buying those cars in Audi, and this same thing so, happened with BMW M, it, and yeah. they and they went, "Whoa, we can market this. This is something that we can, you know, put forth and 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 sell and make money on." And that is how you get an X5M or right. an SQ8. That is how those cars I, become so exist. I do think it's a little different than you. I, I don't think people were saying, I want to have the car guy image or that that's some sort of that panache or, you know, I don't know what you'd call it. I think it's more, it's the same guy who went from, you know, whatever the EX model to the LX, the top trim level. They're seeing, oh, wait, this is just the top, top trim level now is the S4 instead of the A4. That's almost worse. Deluxe, right? I do think that's, that's what worse. this is, though. I think that's the market that's moving up. I think it's a, a little bit of both, too. I think that yeah. you have people that are kind of, you know, want to be part of that segment. You know, they see Audi racing. They, they Maybe they have a hat. You know, they've got <laughs> like a, a hat with an, oh, yeah. uh, the SA logo on it or whatever. Yep. Anyway, um, so another thing I discovered was the uh, the <laughs> British Racing Motors V16. I spent a lot of time just like, this you ever get like, like yesterday? You were yeah. just on some weird all over like, tangent going down some rabbit hole yep. sending me videos. So I found a guy who was driving one of these, and this is a 1.5 liter um, V16 Mm -hmm. engine and it's 600 right. horsepower at 1200 rpms built in 1953 by british racing motors and i just wanted you to listen to it a little bit and tell me what you think are you ready so this video was so this video was a guy driving around in the so he was driving around video, in this in the snow and part of me thinks it has to have been sped up i don't know there's a guy walking his dog at the beginning oh, of the really? video so you could look you okay. could look and see that there's a guy walk well you in this video the guy doesn't and i it sounds good yes but it's not revved out of control no he's not so thrashing it he's either. not thrashing it so here's a here's a sound clip of this this car
Okay, so that's just the guy <laughs> driving it in the snow. And I just, in the beginning of this video, there's a guy walking his dog. And just imagine you're in England. Yo. It's snowing. It's right. wet out. It's <laughs> it's awful weather. Awful. And here comes a guy in a green 1953 Formula One car just that sounds hauling. like this. Yeah. Hey, mate, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, so then I started Australian. to look a little bit. They say mate. Yeah, but I think but your not like that. Yeah, my, I'll leave. I'll leave the accents. I'll leave the accents. So, so what's crazy about this? One point five liter. Let's do the math. So fifteen hundred cc's. Oh my god! It's just okay. over a hundred cc's per cylinder. Think isn't that, how, isn't that how much blood they take from you when you go to like get your blood drawn? True. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm thinking more of my little moped like fifty cc bikes that I used to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the cylinders like. A silver dollar, right? right? That's the size of it. So it's basically a, a 16 Briggs and Stratton engines <laughs> together. <laughs> it's no, the size of the piston. They're smaller than that. They're much smaller than that. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah it's tiny. Nuts. So here's what I did. I'm like, okay, I want, there's no way. So then I just started looking at other sounds of this car. So then I found <laughs> a vintage sound clip of this thing at the track. Oh, okay. Back so in you, the day. You ready for this? Yeah. All right. the guy lifting off the throttle right. as he goes by oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean just like lifting up or the thing was notoriously unreliable well so it could have just yeah. been that so then I started thinking okay is this the new my new most favorite sounding car <laughs> so then I'm like clicking around which which you know is the Matra V12 yes and you've sent me this video before. I've sent you this video before and I'm gonna play it for everybody so then they can make the choice I you tell me if you think this sounds better I apologize for the stupid music. Whatever. It's it is what it is. Oh, listen to those downshifts. We're almost there. Oh, that off the Oh, that off throttle sound is so so good. I have an opinion. Okay, let's. Which one sounds better to you? I like that just by those based on those clips, right? Everything's gonna sound different in the flash, which we should make it a point to hear both. Yes, let's see if we can get there. But I like that V16 better, and here's why: that V12, it it wails, right? Just it screams. If any engine ever screams, it's that thing. But with that V16, I feel like you have a little bit more character in there, like there was more rumble. There was a lot of a breadth of sound. Yes. So then I wanted to pick up a um real modern race car and i wanted to see what you thought of the sound of this okay so what is this from this is from a, a formula race are you ready okay <laughs> <laughs> i like how you weren't gonna tell me what formula 
I'm guessing Formula E. This by is this Formula E. This, so this is what everybody has to look forward to. Well, and that has to be... This song, okay, it just sounds like my wife vacuuming the living room. <laughs> <laughs> if you're vacuuming a multiple gears like that, though, that'd be sweet. That would be pretty... So that is... And keep uh, in mind, the decibel level of that to. one that you just played versus that V16. Like, I'm sure they had the mic right up to the electric motor to get that sound I actually had to normalize the audio to get it to be louder so yes, that we could actually I mean. hear like, it. You're not going to hear that noise. Um, a lot of that, I think, is gearbox, too. I think it's got to be that whine. Yeah. I don't know. What now that I said shifting? I don't, I don't even they, know. If I was going to say I don't know. Sort of transmission. They might have like a starting like two gears, like a starting gear, yeah, and then maybe. a long. You don't even really need it with an electric car, do you? No, I bet it's all just your a, torques right there. It's probably some weird CVT. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what is happening? All right. Well, before we get into uh, into interviewing our our guest Jim Miro, why don't you talk a little bit about one of our sponsors? Yeah, that of course is Renline. You guys should know by now they've partnered with us and are offering us a great discount to pass along to you, our listeners. I actually just received for Chris. You got your phone mount, I which did. goes around the gauge bezel, and I have one of those too. And I, I love that thing. I'm also getting a dead pedal mount from iCar. Okay. Because can you even reach that with your left leg? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. No, because right now you just kind of rest it against the inner fender. And yeah. I'm, I'm excited to have a dead pedal. I think what's really going to make a difference for you is when you get seats that have some bolster support. Yes. I don't I have know. to. I don't have to use my foot like that. Okay. I mean, I'm sure you're. You I, have comfort seats. Yes, in your car, and they're like couches in my car. <laughs> so you're so, constantly pushing with your left leg and exactly. using the steering wheel to brace yourself. Yes. Which is bad news. Right. You know, it's not so good. So this to be will doing be that. good. And yeah. you know, as with all yeah, the that'll products, be good. It'll. it'll you just need seats but you got a dead pedal instead that's well the dead pedal then seats how about that they call it a dead pedal for a reason why i don't know <laughs> it's because it doesn't do anything that's why it's dead it's not because i'm dead <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that anyways the dead pedal along with all their products is going to be extremely high quality and beautifully machined they design performance parts not only for porsches but also for bmw mini Audi, and others. They've been in business for the past 20 years and have developed over 6,000 products to meet the needs of you, the enthusiast. I've mentioned before, though, that what really sets these guys apart, they aren't just another distributor that you can have, you know, drop ship parts from wherever around the world. All their products really are designed and engineered right in-house there in Vermont. So do yourself a favor, head over to renline.com and use the code OVERCREST to get 5% off your next order along with free shipping on orders over Is it over is it Overcrest or Overcrest 1? Nope, it's Overcrest. Okay, okay. Yes. Just getting a little confused by the well, the coupon codes. It's, it's always been overcrest. Okay, sounds good. That we'll be right back with Jim. Hey, Jim, it's Chris from Overcrest. How's it going, man? Chris, how are you doing? Good. How are you, man? It's good to hear from you. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for making me part of the podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to spend with us today. So um, before we get into all of the cool stuff you've done, I kind of want to get into a little bit of how you got there. Um, what's the origins of the love of driving and cars for you? Um, actually the, the road, the road to where I ended up is really obscure. When I was, um, when I was young, you know, I know none of my family had any, you know, did any racing. It's not like I'm a second generation or third generation racer or, you know, driver. It was just, um, it was just basically, uh, my brother Bill was the first one who got the bug, and um, and what he did was um, he got hooked up with Roger Penske, and ended up on his on the IndyCar team. 
That's and, a good place uh, to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, as we as we went through, you know, and, and even when he was doing the racing stuff, it, it was, you know, I was just focused on going to college, getting out of high school with some kind of a great plan to get accepted to college, and uh, he was with Penske, um, and uh, one day he got us tickets. Now, now when we were younger, we were always watching racing. The stuff we did when we were young, we're, we were crazy on our bikes shortly after that cars. But, you know, as far as, you know, uh, real formal racing, it, it was so far off our radar because we didn't know anything about it. Right. But he got us, he got us tickets to the Michigan 500. And when those cars came around the first time, my mom was sitting next to me and I, I looked at her, I said, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, you know, I had no idea how or, or, or um, uh, you know, the avenue to get there. And, and we were just, you know, but I, I was committed. And, you know, I after I got out of college and, you know, in college, I actually went to college to be an architect, believe it or not. And, uh, and after uh, Bill started working with Roger Penske and Penske told him, if you want to race cars, you need to be a mechanical engineer. I immediately switched my major. Um, and, uh, and my dad, the only, the only contact we had was my dad worked with a guy who raced go-karts. And, you know, we just, one weekend, we all went down to a uh, track in Ohio and watched them. And, and, and it, that was it, you know, go-karts it was going to be. So what, what were, and, what uh, were go-karts like? What year is this? What was what was it driving a go kart like? Are we thinking it's kind of the ones that you make with square tubing and like a Briggs and Stratton no, no, motor on no, the back, no, or what are they no, like? They, they were pretty serious. It was, uh, you know, this guy had a had a had, you know they had the Yamaha two strokes, um, and, and they you know if it geared properly, they would do well over a hundred miles an hour. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I just walked into a shop with my checkbook and spent an enormous amount of money. Still had no idea. I wasn't a good mechanic because all through high school I was taking college prep courses. Um, everybody else was taking, you know, automotive mechanics and things like that. I was taking chemistry calculus, and it, it, it was like it was a year of just looking like complete idiots. Um, <laughs> you know, not having the right tools. You know, trying to you know back in that's oh, 1984, so not like you can go on the internet or YouTube and you know, figure it all out. It was all pretty much self-taught and, and get a lot of help from people. Did you kind and, of take um, to the driving right away? Is that something that kind of, you know, right away you're like, wow, I'm pretty good at this. This, this is, this is good. Well, yeah. That, that's not the, you know, it was, uh, not that I was, you know, I didn't think, Oh my God, I'm good at this. It was more of the exhilaration, not only when you were doing it, but when you got done, and, and you had a good run after the first year. Then we won a bunch of championships, but it, it wasn't. Uh, I never, I never really looked at it as, oh, I'm good at this. It's, it's, I, I can't wait till next week and go race again. It was just, uh, you know, it was, it, it, you know, you, you know, you're put on earth to do a few things, and at that point, mine was to, you know, drive fast and just try to, um, you know, try to try to maintain some kind of a you know, good, good driving on the track, but, you know, preparation. And, you know, that, that's where, that's where we struggled was because we didn't, we, we'd never done it before. We didn't know, 
exactly how to do it. And then it went from, you know, at the end, we were building our own engines. I mean, it was, you know, we, we, it was a pretty steep learning curve for a couple of years. So did you kind of take needing to needing to be able to, to, to not when you when you weren't prepped? you know, and you were struggling to, to get this stuff going. Is that, did that kind of tie into overcompensating later when you were, boy, I'm really going to dial these cars in. Oh, it's, I, to this day, I, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you have spares for spares. It's, you know, with, with the business, I just got going, you know, I can do, I can do the programming with one laptop. I got six. It's overcompensate for everything now. It's, well, as, um, as they always I, say, whenever, what, whenever I need one, yeah, whenever I need one, I buy two. Right, you if know, two is one and one is none, right? Exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> so what was the first I, car you know, that I you think, ever drove in in anger? Do you think is, is the first time you ever on public roads that you were? Yeah, this is on, pu- on public roads or on uh, on a track on public roads when you were young. <laughs> when you were oh, young, driving around, what was the first time you were really throwing a car around? My dad bought a. Uh, he yeah uh, he, he's passed but he was he, to this day he has no idea what we did this car he bought a <laughs> 1978 Z28 and he foolishly gave it I mean I think at, I was 18 years old and he would let us take it and we did the stupidest thing in that car I mean it was uh, yeah the fact that it ended up he was able to sell it in one piece was pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm going to uh, guess yeah. that he knew. I'm going to guess that he knew what we did to our parents' cars. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I don't know. He, he thought we were good kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he, uh, yeah, he, I, no, I don't think he had an idea. Because, yeah, no, it was, I always brought the, shi- brought the home shiny side up. But the things we did from the minute we took it out to the minute we brought it home, there are times we, we got lucky. You know, somebody was shining upon us because we did a lot of crazy things in that car. I did so many dumb. I my grandfather had a Mercury Grand Marquis, like there's like the ones with the square headlights. Not no Z twenty eight. It's no Z twenty eight. But I remember we used to go do the dumbest stuff in that car: donuts in the parking lots, just everything. And I remember going home to him the first time I got a speeding ticket was 77 and a 35 <laughs> and i had to go home and tell my grandfather that i got a speeding ticket in his car that was not a so good was he per- was he, well he wasn't proud huh? well, he didn't have much to say usually he's always a quiet man but i'm the one that paid yeah. for the speeding ticket that that yeah, that yeah. is for sure so what led so up to your job at Chev- what led up to your job but, at chevrolet um again like like racing the pat you know you know these days it's just you know they'll they'll pluck a guy out of nowhere and just say you're you're on the Corvette. I mean, and and you know back when I was doing it, you kind of had to earn it. Um, and uh, you know, kind of, I start, okay, it's gonna, I'm gonna tell you how uh, how old I was. Um, that when I hired in, I hired into if you you guys were probably not even born, but I hired into what was fish your body. And, um, and that, and this was in 1983. Um, and I came out of college and I was a contract engineer for a year. I worked in, uh, structural analysis, basically building simulation and, and models on the, on the, uh, on, um, finite element models to, uh, to represent the structural analysis for the cars of those years. And, and, um, a year later I got hired into the occupant protection group barriers and flood tests um at the proving grounds now 
you know, one thing I'll say is when I was doing working at the tech center and and uh, and structural analysis, I thought it was a cash ass. But when I got into the proving grounds, I, I came home after my first day and I told my wife, "I'm never going back to the tech center. This is <laughs> this is where I'm going to be forever." But uh, so yeah, I was uh, I was doing the acumen. I, I tell people, yeah, I was driving the, the barrier cars at the time too. Um, but uh, what's a barrier the, car? What does that mean? Well, the cars they run into the wall. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So were you yeah. running oh, them oh, into the wall? No, no. <laughs> no. It was just a joke. Yeah, when I became a ride handling guy, I said, "Yeah, I drove the, I did the barrier driving too." But, uh, but you know, back then the Fisher body was then absorbed by they. They broke the company into two groups: CPCs, Chevrolet, Pontiac, I think GM of Canada, and BOC, which was Buick, Oldsmobile, Cadillac. And, and Fisher body got absorbed. I, luckily, I got absorbed by uh, CPC. Um, but but as as Fisher body and the accident protection, we were we were like separated out from vehicle development. And, and but you know we would they, they would like you know as a you know throwing a throwing us a carrot. They they'd include us in their meetings, and, and you know we're sitting here with this who cares job, and, and looking at these you know the guys working on the real cars and. And I had decided that, you know, after two years, I needed to, to get out of uh, occupant protection. And, you know, as you go through the, uh, as you go through your career, you, you, there are moments when you could have zigged or zagged and you made the right choice. But if you'd have made the other one, you would have been, things would have been completely different. And I told my boss that I, I wanted to get out of occupant protection. I wanted, I wanted to go into vehicle development. And he um, in turn, got lined me up for a job back at the tech center doing component tests, which was basically in some lab. And um, and it, you know, and and, and I, yeah, I, I've uh, I've been pretty resourceful with uh, with contacts, and I'm like, oh, I can't, I got to do something. I can't, I can't go to this. So, luckily, one of the guys I worked for back at Fisher Body when I was doing structural analysis was then heading up vehicle development. And so I, I walked into his office and I shut the door. I said, I got to have an off the record conversation with you. And, uh, and, and we talked and he said, don't talk to anybody. Just let me do, do something. And uh, I think I can, I can work it out. And, um, and he, he set up, you know, he got me a, uh, a job in, and believe it or not, interior harmony, basically just making sure the fits and finishes with the interior were, were right on the, on the, Back then, it was like eight, 1986, I think. That's a very pleasant yeah. job title. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I was I was extremely proud of it. But but I was in a I was in a, a vehicle development group. I mean, I was in the same group with the ride and handling guys. Um, and um, at that point, well, the funny part of the story is he told me not to tell my boss. And up until the day my boss thought I was going to the tech center, they dropped his bomb on him that not only is he not going to tech center, he's going to vehicle development and, and he was not happy, happy with me. And I'm just like, Hey man, I had to look out for myself. I, I you know, these guys formed me to secrecy and, and I couldn't say anything, but once I got into the development group, I, I then I was kind of relentless with that boss, you know, keep, keep telling him I wanted to, I wanted to work on right and handling, even though I didn't, didn't know anything about it. Uh, I, I knew I could learn. And, um, you know, cause we were, you know, we were one room separated from the right handling guys. And even on the, you know, that was the old W car back in the day, you know, they were like guys in the development group. So, 
it was uh, it was about two years of pretending I cared about interior fit and finishes. Um, when one of the guys uh, on the Buick Regal had uh, some heart issues, and, and uh, my boss at the time was Lee Mundy, he, he basically said, okay, I, I'm going to give you a shot. And he made me the ride handling guy in a Buick Regal. Um, at that, because that was 1988. At that point, I had decided this is what I will be doing for the rest of my career. Even even though I had, you know, the, the Corvette was so far, you know, I, for just a guy just getting on a Buick Regal and being happy, the Corvette was just so far off my radar. But I, I did the I did the W cars uh, probably until from like two, uh, 1988 to 98. No, the and W then, car like, is basically the Regal chassis. Is that what that is? Yeah, it was the Regal, the Lumina, the old Cutlass, okay, and okay. the Pontiac Grand Prix back in the late 80s. Um, and then uh, in 98, an opportunity came up on the F car, the Camaro Firebird. It was kind of winding down with it needed somebody to deproliferate a bunch of parts. and and But but the same the same group of, uh, of the same development group owned the Corvette and the Firebird, you know, the F car. So, you know, at that point, you know, I had been racing for 15 years and, and doing pretty good. And, uh, and I thought, okay, so, so this is another step in the right direction. Now, now I'm thinking about Corvette because at that point, um, in 95, uh, well, yeah, 95, I got my first opportunity to spend some time in Corvette on a racetrack. Um, so I, you know, I, I knew, I knew that, that this was, this was, even though it was a C4 in the day, it was the bomb. And, um, I got into, I did, I worked on the, uh, F car for two years with Heinrich, who was the chief engineer. And then I, uh, and then opportunity came up. Um, and I, you know, this was, this was kind of greed, but, uh, opportunity came up with, go to, go to Cadillac and work on the STS because it came with a promotion, you know, company car, but it also came with the Nürburgring. The Cadillac was the first first cars to go to the Nürburgring. Why did they take and, the uh, Cadillac to the Nürburgring instead of the Corvette? What was the reasoning behind that? You know, I, I, I honestly don't know how, you know, it was a, it was a, uh, one of our vehicle uh, vice presidents now, Ken Morris, was working on the TTS, and um, it, was a, it was like a joint venture with, um, it was probably Opal at the time, um, and they and they they instilled into his mind that if you're going to sell this car in Europe, you have to do good around the Nurburgring. Hmm. And uh, this was this was probably about the same time I got in the F car because my first trip to the Nurburgring was in 2000. But on my first trip in 2000, um, you know, to get it was only to get trained. But after I got when I was going, Dave Hill, who was picked up the Corvette. Want, you know, kind of convinced Dave Hill, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to be a, you're going to sell cars in Europe, you got to be good in the ring. So they wanted to collect a bunch of data. And, um, so I, I trained for, for a few days. And then, uh, Dave Wickman, who. What do you mean trained who, for a few days? What does that mean? Yeah. Well, well, in order, in order to drive an industry tool, you have to go through a two day training course with, with instructors. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, classroom it's uh it's a lot of track time you know leading following him driving you driving because the hardest thing to do is learn track um yeah i I remember it was funny my 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 instructor was dirk 
And you know, we're hauling ass around there, and he's he's going, you know, you missed your you missed your uh, apex by by a meter, and like, dude, I don't even know where I'm going. Just tell me left. Just tell me left or right, you know. And and it was uh, it, it was like drinking from a fire hose because there wasn't you know there wasn't Gran Turismo or anything like that. It was just you know go learn the track all day long, and then at night I would just write write the track on on. A notebook paper. I just, you know, just going through my mind, write it down, write it down. And I did that for, for like three days until, until I find. Then it's a pass fail, you know. Your your final your final, um, you know, we'll call it a test was you would drive by yourself and the instructor would follow you, and you would do one lap and he'd come in and he would decide whether or not, you know, you you were you were good enough to drive during industry pool or you know you needed more time. And luckily. Luckily, after only a day and a half, I was able to to get my green light, and and I was then I was you know these opportunities in the Corvette keep coming up because um, we first for, wait know, wait before we I want to know what it was like to drive the STS at the Nurburgring for the first you know time. you know what you you can go out in any piece of crap on a Nurburgring and it's fast. <laughs> I mean we we trained in opals, and you know I probably could have been making you know, 150 horsepower, and it was fast. It was, you know, the Nürburgring is, you know, so much, you know, so so many long downhill straightaways. It was, yeah, you you weren't driving around these Opel going, man, these things are slow. You're going, oh, my God, I can't believe this track. One of the things um, that people never understand is the elevation changes at the Nürburgring. When you play it, it on a video game, you just don't get it. No, you don't. Like, going down to the, they call it flutes for all the foxhole. You know, I'm trying to, you know, as I, if I show a video to somebody, I you know, I got my arm, you know, at a forty-five degree angle. I go, this is this is how steep you're going down. Or when you go up the coaster tall and climbing that hill, they they just don't understand, you know, the elevation changes. Or what the, the other thing that video games don't do is the amount of the vertical travel at speed. I mean, it's like the car's heaving like crazy at one hundred and sixty miles an hour. Wow. So, you know, it's you know, and and, and on, on that trip, they Dave Hill wanted some data, so they, they asked, "You want to stay an extra week and drive for this and collect a bunch of data?" I'm like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> um, and and so we did. And it's just, one of the funny stories is you're not supposed to record anything during industry pool, you know, uh, because you know there's prototypes out there. Well, we didn't know it. So on our last day, you know, the back in the you know, you know, with the the uh, VHS, we we strat- we t- we took this contact camera put it on the dash and i did a lap and and for years dave hill used it at corvette corrals and seminars you know and, and it's showing these prototypes that were passing and uh it, it was pretty funny you know if, if they had found out that we did it that would have been big trouble <laughs> so you know and, and after the sts um uh well you know, what happened was the sts had magnetic ride and we did a fairly decent job calibrating that. And at that time, the Corvette was on stop order. The uh, I got I saw called the previous administration was struggling with it, and I was asked by the um, by the uh, development manager who who was became one of my best friends, Dave Wickman, if I would take a crack, you know, to to, to redo the Corvette and see if we could get it off the stop order, and we did. And I think I kind of got on their radar. Shortly after that, and I think it was in 2003, late or early 2004, I found I found out that um, 
that they were going to they were going to make a change in the ride handling. So I immediately um, got my name in the hat. I think it was already in, but I, I wanted to make it known. And um, it was yeah, you know, it was probably a few months after that. I was I was in the in Germany at the Nurburgring uh, doing the final the final uh, calibrations on the STS, and my boss called me and. I was going to stay a few extra days to wrap up some stuff on the Autobahn. And he said, I heard you planning on staying uh, an extra few extra days. And I said, yeah. He says, you can't. He goes, you need to be at VIR Tuesday morning. You're the quarterback guy. And, you know, for a second there, you, you, you have this, holy shit, you know, be wary of what you wish for. <laughs> you know, it's like, Jumping from the frying pan into the fire, it was I was a, a nervous wreck and incredibly excited at the same time. And, uh, and you know, well, that's a long story of of how it, how it happened, but it, it's like it's no simpler way to tell it. It's I was all over the place, and you know, somehow, you know, these conversations happened back and forth, and then next thing you know, you know, you're the guy, and uh, then then you just you know. You, then you got to create a reputation of, you know, uh, I was, you know, it was very uh, nerve wracking because when you, when you come into that job and, and, and like it or not, it's a pretty high profile job. Expectations are through the roof, especially when Dave Hill's chief engineer. And, um, you know, you're just, you know, you do everything you can to be as efficient and, you know, it, it all kind of worked out. So when you became the Corvette guy, what chassis was that that you were starting to work on? Was that I, the C5? I, uh, no, C6. Um, it was uh, the, the base card. Well, it, the first year, I think in 2005, the Z51 and, uh, and the base car came out. And then, uh, and, and the, you know, the base car with the magnetic ride was the one I helped out with. And so we were just doing the C6, Z06. It was you know, when I went to VIR, my first responsibility was meet run fellows at VIR, and uh, and and that was the first time we were going to start, you know, running some some endurance, you know, really some serious stuff with the C6 DLC. So tell us what a typical testing day is is like out on the track. When you take a car out, you take a Corvette out, you're going to the uh, VIR, which is I think Virginia International Raceway. You go out there. Right. What what are you guys doing? What what can you change? What can you actually do out at the track? Everything we, um, you know, it, it's, it's very regimented. You know, every time we go, they break the cost of the trip down to the minute. Just so, you know, just so they can make sure that, you know, there's no time to relax, you know, and, and the, the cost per minute was in the hundreds of dollars. When, when you put, you know, we would send, you know, we would send, two truckloads of cars down. Now, for Corvette, we may send six or seven cars. You know, and all our technicians would drive down with uh, fifth wheels and we'd ship just tons of parts. You know, it was, it was, we, we didn't, there was nothing at the track that we didn't have that we would have at the proving grounds. Um, it was, it was a lot of money, a lot of time. And, and when it went green, man, we were, we were pulling out. We, we couldn't waste any time. Um, it, you know, so it was really regimented. Um, you know, we had a ton of, you know, a lot of, a lot of instrumentation, a lot of data analysis, uh, everything, um, 
you know, and, you know, that, that was sometimes, you know, early years, the instrumentation, you'd be ready to go sitting in a car, you know, and be 90 degrees out and, you know, they can't get the instrumentation to run. And I just drank a bottle of water. And I'm like, you got two minutes. Is there, you know, two minutes I'm getting out or, you know, if I can get out on the track, I can sweat it out. But, uh, it was, um, and we ran right up until the last minute. And, and there were many times that, you know, we would, contact the uh, management and we'd run into the dark you know if we were running a test um it was it was uh you know the, the list of things to do when you go to the track is a mile long because it's not only it's not only ride handling matter of fact i kind of put that on the back burner because you know we have to run um stints for for powertrain calibrations for transmission calibrations for thermal for brakes for uh, controls, you know, power, you know, um, PTM. And what's then, uh, what's ABS the difference between doing like all that. this stuff? You do all this stuff at the proving grounds too. Why do you drag everything out to the racetrack and do it again? What is the benefit because, of going to the track? Well, well, at, at the uh, up until well, uh, you know, at the proving grounds, myself and another guy designed the Milford Road Course, which is which is basically um, it's a it's a it's a racetrack at the. Um, you know, in all our years of traveling through the country, we picked the best engineering turns of every track we could think of. But, you know, come November, it, it hits over. I mean, it's, nice. the season's That's over. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we did, we did, we did all our traveling through the winter. Um, awesome. but we, you know, depending on what car, you know, when, when, uh, when we were doing the C, the C7, um, Stingray, we were gone every week. You know, there's, the LT1 had, a, had some growing things, and um, you know, we were gone every week, and it was uh, it was nonstop. So, you know that, and then we, you know, we boiled. You know, we were at Road Atlanta. We were all over the place, and finally, we boiled it down to probably three tracks that we focused on because we felt it had enough. Um, they had enough representation of everywhere else. You can't go all over the country. And one was VIR, other being Willow Springs, um, and um, you know, occasionally road Atlanta and occasionally Laguna Seca, you know, we just boil it down, but Willow and VIR were, uh, you know, uh, consider our away tracks um, right. just because of her personalities of each track. So you've said you've done some testing at the Nürburgring, which is an, an understatement. How much, <laughs> how much driving have you really done there? Um, I, 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 my, as I mentioned, my first trip was in 2000 and my last trip was in April of 2018. Um, we, I think it was 40, 40 trips, probably a hundred, 110, 115 weeks total. And, um, about 4,000 laps, 4,000 <laughs> laps. So yeah. was there ever a point in those 4,000 laps where that track didn't do something to, to just get you? Cause it's such a long, aggressive, you know, complicated uh, track. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got to lack the self-preservation dream, uh, gene, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, throw down for a time on the Nürburgring, I mean, it, the, um, yeah, I've had several wrecks there and, and, you know, you can't, you can't even think about it. You can't think that there's no runoff that if, you know, you're, you're, you drop two in the dirt and you've got about four feet and you're in a guardrail. It's, you know, it's just, that all has to be, you can't even, it can't even be part of your mindset. You what know, happened just, on, what was the, what was the most challenging experience for you there that caused you to go the, off? Well, the most challenging experience was driving 
the C6 V06 on the first tire that was on that car, which was a good Goodyear F1. I think it was called an F1 Super Sport. It, it was it was not a good tire, and it was you know it was yeah I could have that was the the same tire Jan Magnuson drove the 743 on, um, and, and I, I did a 738 shortly after, but it was, you know, we, we rented the track, um, that morning when I ran the 730 and it took me probably three or four shots to get a complete lap without screwing something up because those tires are so edgy and, um, you know, it, it just, yeah, I look at that video this day and I'm like, I don't even know how I did it, but, um, <laughs> It was, uh, that, that was, that was the most challenging and, um, probably the most rewarding was the C7 PL1. You know, all the C7s, you know, were unbelievably good. The C6s, I mean, obviously, once we, once we partnered with Michelin and it wasn't, you know, we partnered with them. We, we had a, after that, that tire on the C7, C6 VL6, I convinced Dave Hill, I said, we need to do a shootout for the ZR1 because I was really worried, you know, that, you know, here, you know, you know, fat, you know, 505 and you're, you're doing everything you can to keep the tire under you, 505 horsepower. And now you've got this monster 650 horsepower coming up. And I was, I was worried about, you know, you know, getting a tire to, to keep the car under me. So we, we convinced the Dave Hill to do a shootout. Um, and between Michelin and Goodyear and, and, you know, Michelin pretty much ran the table and, you know, actually, obviously the rest is history now, Yeah. but, um, but it's, uh, you know, it was, you know, that, that was the car that, that bit me, but you know, it's, uh, it was still great. So <laughs> I mean, it's not like, it, it's not like I didn't like driving the car there. It's just that <laughs> it was a handful. Well, yeah, I mean, the, just people, I just want to get get it across to people of how crazy the Nürburgring is. They just, unless you go and you go drive, I drove it in an A-class, a Mercedes A-class diesel with like no horsepower. And I was just in the, on the right side of the track with my blinker on the whole time. But you can yeah, see just yeah. how aggressive the track is and just, you can't, you know, I've driven it a million times on Gran Turismo, but when you go and you see in person, nothing looks the same. And it's just, it's just absolutely crazy. No, yeah, the thing, the thing I love doing the most is taking people for rides. They, I mean, it, it, you know, they, they see it. They I'm in. Let's go. Yeah, they let's do videos. it. They see videos. You strap them in next to you, and they're either crying or they're laughing. You know, they, they just can't believe. You know, they said, you know, so many times, they, you know, even though I had a lot of laughs, they go, man, I hope he knows what he's doing because the track disappears. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Uh, let's just move on. Let's talk about the let's talk about the autobahn a little bit. And I know that you've had some really good and, and and really not so good experiences there. But you sent me a picture on on Dropbox of of some two hundred and something mile per hour shot on the Nurburgring. It, what in what looks like on the autobahn? Uh, it looks like a test mule car. It's a, it's got a wrap on it. What what was the story yeah. there? That, that that was you know you know an uh, industry pool is really only three and a half days a week. It either starts Monday morning and you're done. Um, it actually, it starts Monday afternoon and you're done Thursday, or it starts Tuesday morning and you're done halfway through Friday. So you know, uh, on the when you're not on the Nurburgring, we're on the autobahn because we can tune. You know, with magnetic ride and electronic power steering, you know everything we tune for regular driving. We can also 
scale, so the car drives really good at speed. It, you know, it takes a lot of time to do that. So, you know, when you're doing 170, 180 miles an hour, you know, we can we can ramp up the damping. Uh, every one of the algorithms for MR has a has a scale. It can be scaled by speed. So, you know, when I when we tune the car, you know, 60 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour. So for everyday driving, and we go to the, the autobahn, you know, we're 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 you know, it's like I'm making it sound serious, but it's a blast. You know, we're <laughs> we're running, we're running, and 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 we're tuning uh, the shocks and the steering. So you know, when you're driving 170, 180, the car's just spot on. And, and, you know, we would do it, but that particular day, um, I, I was by myself working the, working the dampers and I just took a left and there was no traffic. So I, I'm like, I'm going to record this. And I always keep a card in the car and I just hit record and made a left onto the autobahn. I can send you guys a video. And, yeah, and sure. you know, a, 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 you know, like a minute and a half later, I was doing 214 and, Passing cars, yeah, I'm like, oh, man, I got to show somebody this. <laughs> and, and I, I, I have, and I have other, I have other um, videos. I, I think I got one where it was, a, it was pretty heavy traffic that day, but we ran about ten miles and average like 178. Uh, and, and these are all in the ZR1, um, the C7 ZR1. But um, you know, we would. How long does it take to go I, through a tank of gas doing that? 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> if you if you you're like usually you know, sometimes you know you kind of got to get your rocks off a little bit so oh, yeah. um you know when things were kind of dialed in I, you know we we start up by the Nurburgring ring and then we go to Bitford and it's about a 15 or 20 minute run and i'm just like i, I i'm not i'm not stopping i'm gonna go all the way and not even usually you probably run a three or four mile stint pull off make a change go back and run you know when you do that you know, you can you can go up to an hour, but when uh, when you know when we we would just get on the autobahn, there'd be two of us and 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 hammer time, and we we get to Bitburg twenty minutes later, we'd be empty. We'd have to stop and fill them up. Wow! Because the gas stations got to know us pretty well because there's not a lot of them. You know, when you get out into the countryside in the autobahn, so um, you know we would run yeah fifteen minutes in a ZR one, maybe twenty. Um, when I was there in, uh, in 2014, I spent seven weeks, um, in October and all the way through November, we were working on the, um, we had some ABS issues that we, we, we got you know, taken care of on the, on the Nürburgring, but there were like, there were like weeks, weeks in between that I would, all I would do is Audubon stuff. And, and that, uh, I, I posted something that, that, that year I did my expense report, fuel on the Audubon was $10,000. Whoa. <laughs> so do you have like a gas card for that like a, just yeah just our just our corporate credit card man it, 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 it's not cheap there but it was right when, when i added all those receipts up and i kept every receipt i'm like holy crap did they did somebody call me like excuse me jim is this correct you, was this ten thousand no. how many candy bars were included in this ten thousand yeah yeah no candy bars but uh <laughs> that was a separate expense account but it's yeah, no, they, you know, no, no one said anything. It's mostly because um, there was, it was supposed to be a two-week trip, and because of you know, and, and industry pool ended. But then they sometimes, like, if they can get enough manufacturers to express interest, they'll say, okay, we're going to go down a week, and then we'll open open for two or three days the following week. So I just, you know, they kept asking me to stay, and so I just stayed. You know, right. and uh, they, flew, they actually flew my wife out for a week and 
But it, you know, two weeks ended up being seven. I mean, there were nights that nights in the hotel. I was the only one. I was the only one there. You know, this hotel had seventy or eighty rooms that was always full during the Easter pool and race weekend. So, you know, but it but it was uh, you know it, it, it's like the uh, you know when uh, when when the steering guy you know I always did the MR tuning myself. But when the steering guy rides me rides with me, he goes, you know, I'm never nervous on the auto, on the uh, on urban things, but I'm always nervous on the autobahn. <laughs> Is that just cause you know, traffic, because of traffic or, you know, because it's, it's, it's just not controlled, man. It's like, you know, we constantly just get done and we look at each other and go, I can't believe they let people do this. <laughs> you know, it, you know we, uh, we meet up with guys that come down from Belgium in their Maserati just to run, you know, this, there's a Autobahn called the A3, you know, and the next thing you know, you're, you're, you guys are kind of racing back and forth stuff on, the, on this A3. The guy would just drive down from Belgium and burn a couple tanks of fuel on this autobahn. You ever have so anybody was, in like a like a nine eleven like try and chase you down where you're just screaming along the autobahn? Yeah, it never worked though. I mean, it was, <laughs> I did, I did, there there were times when you know we would you know we were working on the Z06, but I wanted to take the the Z51, the, the LT1 car, you know, the four hundred and sixty horsepower car. And then, you know, it figures at that time you come up on somebody and you're like, oh, shit, you know, like, why can't I have the Z06 or the ZR1 now? You know, instead of running around in this, you know, the base car. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, yeah, we, um, it, it wasn't as much as you think. You know, there were people, they would try to stay with you and then they would just give up. Yeah, they just, oh, never you mind. Know, <laughs> yeah, no, because, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, pretty intense it, it was intense but unbelievably awesome it was a you know, one of those you can't wait to get out of the hotel because you know what you're going to be doing all day and it never gets old right so i i was watching um the 24 hours of lama which was just this last weekend or the weekend before whatever it was and i'm sitting here watching the in car of this four GT, which sounds terrible. First of all, it's like the worst, yep. it's the worst sounding cool car I've ever heard. <laughs> um, and yep. I'm, and there's a Corvette in front of it. And after about three laps, you can just, the Corvette is just slowly walking away, slowly, right. but surely walking away. And then I started to think, I'm like, look, thinking about the four GT and it's, you know, it's a, it was new, engineered basically to do exactly this, you know, as engineered to go to Le Mans is, in their head, I'm, I'm imagining what they're thinking. And it's this mid-engine car, this this six-cylinder thing. And I'm watching this front-engine, rear-wheel-drive Corvette spanking this 4GT. And then I'm thinking to myself, why are we pushing this mid-engine concept if a front-engine car can smoke the best that Ford can put forth? So I was just, what are you, what are your thoughts on this mid-engine shift in from Corvette? You know, it's, uh, okay, so... The first thing when I, when I was part of the, uh, you, you know, the, the initial, um, you know, the advanced stuff when, when you know we were trying to define what we wanted this car to be, and, and I and I, you know I, I understand that you know the Corvette is sixty six years old, right? And front engine car, and and you know I I understand somewhat that even though you, there are so many more improvements we can make that. You know, sooner or later, you kind of do got to do a change, which was above my pay grade. You know, I, I guess I understand the change. I don't understand why. Um, but I remember the first time, you know, we started, you know, getting this thing off the ground. I, I asked Tad, I said, you know, 
you know, we go to all these shootouts and we, um, we go up against these cars that cost, you know, five times as much as the Corvette. And, and, and most of the times we beat them. Right. And, um, and, you know, I said, I, I don't ever, re- you know, remember getting beat by a mid engine car with the same horsepower and weight. And, um, and to this day, it's, it's the same thing. You know, it's, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I worry about the mid engine because, well, when we, uh, here, let, me, let me digress a minute. When, okay. So when we were getting the C8, C8 going, we, we, we rented what we considered the top mid engine cars or rear engine cars out there. Yeah. You know, Audi R R eight, we had, 458 Ferrari, uh, a couple of Porsches, NSX, and a C7 Z06. And and I think we had a Z51. And, and the two Corvettes just smoked them. I mean, it was, it, you know, it was, you know, to, the, the, the thing that um, probably still gave the mid-engine legs was, like, the, the executives who were what I would consider you know, compared to some of our, some of the engineers that you know in our group, they you know they they were three four seconds a lap slower, maybe more. And and so when you're you know three or four seconds might as well be three or four minutes because you're you're in a region of the way the car drives, you know that you're not even near the limit. And, and you know you know they get in they get into the you know one of the mid engine cars and the first thing you have is a down vision, right? You see the front of the dashboard in the road. You get in the Corvette, you see the hood, you know, especially the ZR1, you see that big bubble there. So the perception, you know, immediately when you get a mid you know, the perception is better. And, right. and, you know, and then when they drove the car well below the limits, you know, they love it. You know, but then there were a few of us going, oh, my God, this this thing is a piece of junk. This is, I can't believe the understeer and the Audi, you know, and, and um, and you know, basically I, I told uh, I told my boss is, is that we're going to, you know, we, we can't copy what these guys are doing because, you know, everybody kind of agrees that none of these cars are, are what we aspire to. And so, you know, and, and, you know, we got good engineers working on it and, and hopefully they'll turn out that way. But, um, but, you know, it was, you know, you know, the few of the few of us walked away going, you know, the front engine car is still better. Than, than all these mid-engine cars, so we're going to have to kind of reinvent the wheel here if we're going to make this work. And, and then the other thing is, if you look at the, you know, the utility of the, the front-engine car, I mean, you know, I can take two sets of golf clubs, a couple of duffel bags, and Terry and I can go for away for a weekend. Well, you're not going to do that in a mid-engine car. You know, so, and, and a lot of our customers, they buy them because, you know, not only you know, they perform well on the track. They've got, they've got some unbelievable utility to them too. You know, so it's, you know, I think, I think the mid engine car is going to be crazy popular, you know, whether it'll stand the test of time, you know, we'll see, Uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty interesting to see if, uh, see how it does against its competition. Yeah. And Jim, I have to tell you, Chris and I are, are decidedly, uh, traditionalists. You know, and there's something to be said about the fact that I'm right there with you. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said about the Corvette has always been this formula, right? It's it's classic, yeah. it's iconic. So yeah, yeah and, it, and and if you and if you look at how it progressed, right, for each generation, it, it got light years better than the generation before. 
Right. And, you know, and if we and if we were to be able to do another one, it, it would you know as good as a C seven is, it was you know the next the next generation. There, there, you know, there's a lot of things we would change. And um, yeah, I think a fifty fifty car is going to be better than a you know a thirty five sixty five car. Sure. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, but you know, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna get fifty fifty weight distribution in mid engine cars. So, you know, the, the the big the big thing to overcome is understeer. I suppose. So, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 about tradition too, but it also ties into my into my patriotism, right? <laughs> you know, I I love uh, no, I, I, I love understood. seeing the Corvette, and when you say you use the term hammer time, right? And I feel like a Corvette is a hammer. You know, yeah, and it, yeah. it's it's just it's, it's, you know, I know that it's a delicate instrument now, right? And when you look at the new cars, well, they're, they're not compared to that Ferrari uh, still. That's what I'm saying yeah, is uh, it's, uh, it's 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 not a uh, delicate instrument compared to that, but it is. It's I'm just saying it's highly advanced, but it's also a hammer. It's a blunt instrument. It's a very American tool. Yeah. Americans are never known as being very delicate people, right? <laughs> We're always seen as around no. the world as brash and arrogant and 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 just over the top and power and i just i see that in the corvette and i feel like that it's that's gonna disappear that feeling that emotion you know is it's just gonna be gone you know yeah and, and it, you know it is a hammer i, I mean the thing that is, you know if i went through the c6 and c7 if people knew what we did to these cars you know we we had cars that you know we had a grand sport that had thirty thousand miles on it when I retired, had thirty thousand miles on it. Every single mile was on a racetrack, <laughs> and it just—you know—it's it, a. It, it, we, we would we would run twenty four hours, and then we you know we would keep running the car. I mean, it, you know, it was the, the amount of abuse you can give them, and they just they keep going. It, it, it's it's unbelievable. It, that was the thing that impressed me the most. You know, probably. You know, by the time I was in the third year, and the Z06 that I drove um, the first time at VIR, we were still using it, and it probably had twelve or thirteen thousand racetrack miles on. And, wow, and it's, that's crazy. It's, so you're saying it didn't up. mean it, it didn't need a ten thousand dollar clutch job at four thousand miles? <laughs> no, is, no, is what you're saying. no. And it, it, it's unbelievable. You know, you talk to you know some of the magazines, you know, and they talk you off the record, and they're like, you know, you know, we got a Ferrari. You know, for an extended period of time, we know it's going to break. Yeah, we got a Corvette. <laughs> we know it'll last forever. I mean, I'm not saying that things haven't, you know, flukes haven't happened, but they know that they'll have it for a year and nothing will go wrong with it. Just keep changing the oil. Right, right. You know, and then and part of the traditional one, it's like, I, I don't know if you've ever, you know, gone to one of the races with the factory cars, but, you know, this this is one of the things. I've seen a new race car, and I've seen it run. Um, and you, 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 you go to these car and, you know, the Ferrari comes out, then the Porsche comes out and these things are buzzing around like bumblebees, you know, and then the trees start falling down, you know, <laughs> sounds like the world's coming to an end and it's those two Corvettes. It, it, it was, it was like, it was like nothing else. It was, you know, you know, everybody loved it. I mean, they, when those two, I remember being at, uh, uh, the, uh, lightning lamp with a Z06. And uh, there was a McLaren there, and, and then you know there's a, a Lamborghini, and you know we're all up on the um, on the uh, balcony where the hotel rooms are above the garages, watching watching the riders go by, and we're standing by the you know the we're all kind of together, and uh, and you know the the Lambo goes by, and then the McLaren, and then the Z06 comes by, and the 
the McLaren, one of the McLaren guys turns around and he goes, that's my favorite car. <laughs> because, you know, it's because it was, you know, it was it not only looked cool, but it's the, it was the sound, man. It was the push ride, you know, chest pumping. You know, it was, it was, you know, you have a McLaren guy say that. It, it's pretty cool. For sure. For sure. So, before I let you go, I got a couple questions for you. The first one is, yep. what are some hard and fast rules that regular car guys can abide by to help out the handling of their day-to-day driver? Just their daily driver car. What can we do, you know, whether it's coilovers or tires or whatever, that can really enhance the drive of the car we drive every day? Tires. I mean, you know, there's there's knobs you can turn. The tires are, you, you know, you can, I mean, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, let's use the Z06, for example. C6, Z06. You know, I ran a 738 with the Goodyear F1. And we went to the Michelin Cups and we ran 7.2. Wow. The, 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 the biggest knob, you know, bar none, I don't care if you have the best kinematics, the best architecture, the best everything. If you've got junk tires, the car's going to drive like junk. Right. And, you know, and consequ- consequently, if you take a, a substandard architecture and put awesome tires on it, it's going to drive good. It's going to go fast. Right. I mean, it's, you know, so, so many times, you know, I, people call me and ask me questions and go, you know, I bought this aftermarket set of sway bars and I did this and changed the spring sprint to coilovers. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, you just got ripped off. <laughs> I, I, it's, you know, it's, it's whoever put that package together didn't, take the time i guarantee to to develop it properly i mean these guys are just you know they want to make you know make money and and uh and, and then you know then you lose any daily drivability of it you know it's like you're not gonna you're not gonna take you know a increase the spring rate four times so you can put a slick on it and drive it around the track yeah you're not gonna drive it to work right you know? you'll hate and, your life and that's that's <laughs> That's the other thing about the Corvette. I mean, you know, with the C7 and the magnetic ride and the, and the adjustable steering, those three modes, it, they change so many things in the car that, you know, like the ZR1 goes from, it's a great daily driver. It's a cupcake. And then you just put it in track and, you know, you go out there and theoretically run a seven minute lap. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, in my opinion, the guys who spend, you know, I, I can understand being in their shoes and wanting, you know, just wanting the, the best, coolest stuff on your car, but most of them can't drive to the capabilities of what they buy from the dealer, and then they just start throwing money at it. Right. And, um, and you know, and, and to me, they ruin the car. I, just a quick story. I had Tom Wallace, the chief engineer, I think he had since retired and he was in, uh, he was in Spring Mountain helping, helping doing some instructing. And he called me up. He goes, Hey, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you a question. You know, this guy brought the C6 ZL7, the 722 car, not the car, but you know, that package. And he said, then he sent it out to, I'm not going to say the name and, and, uh, and, and spent 20,000 bucks on this. And he goes, yeah, the drive so bad. You know, what, you know, what do you think? I said, well, first, tell the guy he got ripped off. <laughs> second, second, take him, take all those parts off and put the original stuff back in because uh, the C7, the C6 Z07 is the best driving C6 we've ever done. But, it, but, you know, it was, 
he bought the car and just took it right to the shop and, and they just, they ruined it. Right. Right. So, um, what's new with you now that you've retired? What are you working on? What's, what do you got going on on your side of the world there? Well, I, I started my own company when I, you know, when I was, um, you know, I got, I got hot and heavy into the MR stuff. I, um, you know, we, I, I started, you know, we usually had suppliers working for us and I just figured I'm going to want to figure this out on my own. And, and as I went through the C7, I, um, I completely changed the tuning philosophy that, that we were using. Um, you know, with MR is so complicated, you can attack it coming from any different direction, you know, because the algorithms are all, they, they kind of, they're individual, but they kind of go on top of each other. Right. And, um, and as I went through the, the C7, I, um, up to the ZR1, the last year, I, I had a, a big revelation. This, this, I, I stripped it down and I built it back up and it was like, holy crap, this is unbelievable. You know, and it, not only the track, it was the tour, the sport, you know, the car drove, you know, so much better on the, on the public roads and sport. It was, you know, you can haul ass to the the dragon or these other roads that I use in Ohio and, and, but you, it wouldn't beat you up. And, and, you know, we, I, I, I redid every single package that C7 offered, which like 13 in 2019. And, and we released them for 2019 production. But at the same time, I contacted uh, the director of service parts and I said, you know, I see no reason we can't make these calibrations available to anybody who owns a C7. And, and they put together a team and, and we did it. We, 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 uh, we, through the dealerships, if you, if you own a 2014 C51, you can buy the, you can buy for 350 bucks, you can buy the 2019 calibration. Your, your car, you feel like you got a new car. Sure. Oh, wow. Well, since, yeah, since it, it, it's, it's night and day. And, and since, you know, after I retired, I started thinking about the C6 guy. You know, I said, man, it's like, you know, as the, you know, the philosophy and the ability to tune got more, got better over, you know, the C7, it, there was a big jump from C6 to C7. So, um, you know, I was able to, you know, to, to get started, you know, I got a car and started working using my philosophy I used on all the 2019 C7s, and it was even a bigger improvement on the C6s. So, you know, I, you know, I, yeah, I was using a, a friend's car and it, you know, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think I can make something of this. But the big hurdle was, you know, shortly after retire, I, I needed to buy a car. I needed to buy a Grand Sport. And, um, and it got, it got down to probably in, uh, in February. And I'm like, you gotta, you gotta do it or get off the pot. And, and I said, you know, I, I said, if I don't try this, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. So I went and bought a Grand Sport and, um, and started working on that car and, 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 you know, and, and the calibrations were just, you know, it, like I say, the, the improvement for the C6 is bigger than the improvement that the C7 guys saw. And the C7, you know, they look, you know, the testimony, you go to form, you know, and, you know, they're beside themselves on how well it is. And now, you know, now I'm starting to get some testimonials back on the, on the calibrations I've, I've already flashed um, in the last couple of weeks. That, um, and so, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of running with that, you know, we got a lot of interest and, uh, you know, we're going to see what happens. That's awesome. Um, before the last question, before we go, we're going to start asking this of, of everybody. Cause we just did an episode of, uh, what makes a car cool 
or not. <laughs> so I just want to know, what do you think makes a car cool? Just in a general sense, what makes for a cool car? This, this answer is going to be obscure. My, it's when it's yours. And the example I'll give you is for 15 years, I, I could drive any car that I wanted whenever I wanted. And I went out and bought this Grand Sport. It was a 2012, 3,000 miles on it. And every time I look at it, even though I could dr- I drove every Corvette under the planet, you know, Nürburgring, when you look at it and you own it and it's yours, that's cool. That is, I like that. I like that answer a lot. That's we've we've talked to a lot of people about this, and that's one of my favorite answers that we've ever gotten. I, I really appreciate that. Yep. Uh, well, Jim, I I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. It was it was awesome. I I really appreciate it, and um, I hope you take care of yourself, and I hope your uh, your your new program and your new company goes well. well thank you so much, and I enjoy your podcast. I listen to it all the time, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to have me. It's an honor. Yeah. Oh, thanks a lot. Take care, buddy. We appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. First of all, that's pretty cool. He listens to the podcast. I like that. That's really neat. Um, Second of all, I was just, well, he was talking about driving on the Autobahn and the Nürburgring and stuff like that. And I'm just thinking of the brash American, right? Just driving the Corvette (laughs) on the Nürburgring. I wonder what like the Mercedes test drivers do. If they're like, oh, we must go out at two o'clock in the morning. Well, yeah. So your your (laughs) kind of stereotype is they're very much more regimented and and everything else. But to, to Jim's point, I mean, they had it budgeted down to the minute because when you're out there yep. on track time, it's expensive. So it is. You can't waste time. So, yes, I'd like to think that, you know, it's, it's much more different <laughs> and, you know, compartmentalized and everything else. But it I, probably it, is. It, it's similar, I'm sure. No, it's and it was interesting to hear him talk about the, the mid-engine Corvette, too. Very interesting. Like I, yeah, I just I he don't know, some man. Of, uh, the thoughts that I think we share and and many others, I think. So here's the thing is that you have to imagine that at Chevrolet and in the Corvette department, they know that's what people are thinking. Yeah, they're not dumb. They no, know. Right. They know everybody's going, what are you doing? Why are you putting this mid engine in this car? So this car is probably going to be really, really good is my guess. I mean, it, oh, it the has fact to be. That they're still the fact that they're it. still doing it. The car must be really good to the point where people they have to make the car good enough that nobody cares. That's how good it has to be. Could here here's devil's advocate. Let's say the car isn't that mind blowing. Could they go back then? Could you ever go from all right, we're making this huge step to make a mid-engine car? Could you then, to the next generation, go back to? I'm trying to think. Has that ever happened? In, in well, here's the problem, Chris. By the time they go have this next design cycle, it's going to be electric. Maybe that's part of what's going on here. Is that this chassis and their, the development of where they're going? This is going to be able to better accept. True. And come on, as can you imagine an, an electric Corvette? <laughs> oh my gosh. On that note. all right guys i really hope you enjoy that episode we'll be back later this week with an interview with the checked it out chicago guys please hit that subscribe button we'd love if you did that leave us a five-star review on itunes patreon.com slash overcrest if you haven't done that already what are you waiting for (laughs) get on there support the show and we'll talk to you guys next week take care